This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the book Maxims and Reflections by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. As for uh, who recommended the book, I'll hand that off to you, Eric. And that's going to be Ed Cook, and I'm going to read the intro from Tools of Titans for Ed. This is quite interesting. So Ed Cook, who can be found at Ted Cook, and Cook is with an E, and Memrise.com, M-E-M-R-I-S-E.com. He's the CEO of Memrise and a certified grandmaster of memory. This means he's able to memorize and recite A, a 1,000-digit number within an hour. Wow. Still still wrapping my head around that. B, a shuffled pack of cards within a few minutes. And C, 10 packs of shuffled cards within an hour. Perhaps more impressive, he can quickly train others to do the same. In 2010, he was interviewed by a journalist named Joshua Four. Under Ed's Yoda-like tutelage, in 2011, Joshua became the very next American memory champion. It took less than a year for Ed to transform a novice into a world class. The result was Forer's book, Moonwalking with Einstein, which sounds like an interesting book. I may add that one to uh, the 2019 list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting. And about the author, I'm going to turn that back to you. Yeah, so uh, Goethe is one of the truly great Renaissance men to ever live. Uh, definitely uh, has written perhaps the the, the greatest the greatest uh, German novel ever uh, ever written. Uh, many many believe that uh, that his Faust is is one of the greatest uh, greatest novels period ever written. Uh, but you know, this is a guy who he was a celebrity writer in Germany by the age of twenty-five, and went on to become uh, something of a natural philosopher and scientist. wrote wrote some major scientific work. did some did some of the best German poetry and history. Uh, wrote more novels, lots of plays. became a diplomat and a civil servant. You know, just. Just your standard life. Uh, yeah, left behind <laughs> treatises on botany, anatomy, picked major fights with, uh, with uh, uh, Isaac Newton on color theory. Uh, we can put a, put a link in the show notes about, about some of that. It's actually some interesting stuff. Uh, Newton has generally won the day on this, but, uh, but Goethe had, had some experimental data that he argued went the other way and you can see some of his uh in this in this book some of his antipathy towards uh newton's theory of color but uh anyway um wrote four novels left behind all sorts of other fragments ten thousand letters about three thousand drawings i mean this guy he he just he he was tireless and uh lived uh 
what he died uh, what 82 years old and filled those 82 years with a tremendous amount of productive literary output and and all sorts of contributions to uh uh to his his world so uh someone who has who, who is a shaper of the world that we live in 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 many respects uh one of the one of the first uh men uh, or one of the one of the truly great men of the modern era or the, as the as the era turned into the modern era one of those uh, truly great men so definitely uh always excited to read stuff by goethe i would love to uh, find out or i don't i don't know if it exists but to to find out what this guy's daily rituals were how yeah, he his, got his how daily got routines to be that that productive yeah pretty amazing yeah yeah and to do all that without i mean, I, mean I suppose it actually was an advantage that he didn't have the internet or yeah. uh, you know lots of digital tools to get more work done because he could just sit down and write but yep. you know fewer distractions than than we have now but man yeah yeah, not bad. And we have we have one of his books on our our list this year, so that should be fun to to read that as well. Yeah, I'm I'm very much looking forward to. I, I I'm familiar <clears throat> with Faust from other other stuff, but I'm ashamed to say that I've I've never actually read the whole thing. I've never read it uh, in full. Uh, you know, anything more than just little snippets or anything like that, uh, abridgments of of things. So I wanna I wanna dive into Faust this year. I'm I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah. Be a good one. So we'll jump into uh, our overview and initial reactions. And I'll just start by saying that uh, the, the structure of the, this book is is that it is of short, it's a short book of, of sayings. So there's there's no storyline or an arc. Uh, you just kind of pick it up and, and read some pearls of wisdom. And there some were pretty straightforward and others required you to, to chew on them a little bit. But uh, that that's the structure. It's a very short book. I have a printed copy in front of me here that contains 54 pages. So, um, yeah, most most of the sayings are between two and, and five lines, and uh, so you can get it, get through it pretty quickly. Uh, you can go at your own pace. If you really want to chew on these, you can you can take your time with it. But uh, probably a good one to just kind of have laying around and uh, and pick it up every now and then and, and read some some of the. Uh, of the quote. So I think most of what we're going to be discussing today is just going through some of the, uh, of our favorite quotes, uh, since there is no, no storyline or anything like that. But, uh, other than that, what, uh, any, any initial reactions or, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is, it is, you know, wisdom literature effectively. I mean, my, my main thing is that, you know, this is one of the, one of the, the brightest minds of his century, uh, and one of the brightest minds of, you know, the post enlightenment period. So worth, Worth listening to what he found uh, compelling and and profound. So uh, so so I found it. Uh, I found it. It's it's worth it's worth like you said poking around in and and uh, familiarizing yourself with. This is one of those things. You know, I I, I fall in the line of uh, uh, I like what C.S. Lewis has to say that it's a, it's a good thing to repeatedly expose yourself to the wisdom of other ages and other eras, which actually there's some stuff that, that Goethe says about that in this book as well. Uh, but uh, that it's important to do that because that's the only way that you can kind of shed light on your own ages on your own, on, on the biases and, and blind spots of your own epoch that, uh, that, you know, if you only read the modern stuff and expose yourself to news and modern books, you're going to, you're going to wind up falling in, in, into common mistakes and trends 
that are unique to your own era, and whereas reading some of the past stuff uh, actually can help you help remind you of, oh yeah, you know that that the way that we think about this isn't the way it's always been, and actually there's a point there. So uh, I, I found that also useful too. So uh, definitely uh, definitely something that's worth keeping around and and taking a look at uh, once in a while. Yeah. And in light of uh, your comment about reading the news, I'm going to start with my first quote, which is exactly about that, where he says, if one has not read the newspapers for some months and then reads them all together, one sees, as one never saw before, how much time is wasted with this kind of literature. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of half and half on that. I've, I've spent the last year not reading news, but um, I used to to love it, uh, getting the paper and, and just sitting down with it. So, but yeah, I guess a lot of it, um, a lot of it, uh, is, is past due. Um, what well, reminds really me apply anymore after, it, after it rem- a day or so. It reminds me of what Thoreau said that, you know, you can read the news and then, you know, just change the names and the news is the same in a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So there's some overlap with what Thoreau said in uh, in Walden about the same thing. He's like, you know, people waste all their time reading all this news when, in fact, you know, just change the names of which country is attacking which country and which politician is upset with which politician and, you know, change the name of whatever issue they're they're discussing and, and you basically... You basically have the news, and that's yeah. that. And and actually, there's something to that in terms of the current coverage of... Uh, of Amer- the American political situation right now, where you know so much of the coverage boils down to such and such political leader tweeted this. Can you believe it? And yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that's that that our politicians say in the United States is pretty dumb. But you know, honestly, focusing on a person's Twitter account really isn't affecting people's ordinary daily lives in in, in matters of policy. Uh, all that much, so it's amazing to see how much uh, ink is spilled and how many people get uh, all upset about about those things, and that that runs the me- that runs the media cycle. And, and actually, that reminds me, I, I was listening to a podcast today, and uh, there was a uh, a quote by Tim Ferriss actually about some of the the dangers of this uh, uh, this news stuff that I actually uh, I I wrote down because I, I I appreciated it. And he said, if you look at a lot of the noise and craziness right now in the media cycle, there are many people who are training themselves and encouraging other people to make everyone in the world change their behavior, to make everyone other than themselves less offensive. This is the opposite of making yourself resilient. It's much more, much more practical and possible to train yourself to be less easily offended, (laughs) to train yourself to reframe so that you can take people, many of which are never going to change their behaviors and repurpose what they might present you with as an opportunity or a gift. If your default is always fighting, not a good approach. Um, and, you know, that I think is, is to some degree what, what Goethe is getting at as, as well in that nice little quote. Yeah. You, you, should we just switch off? You want to yeah, do I, the I can, next I one? Yeah, I can do another one. Um, All right. Or do, do, do my first one. Fools and intelligent people are equally undamaging. Half fools and half sages, these are the most dangerous of all. Yep. <laughs> all right, my, my next one. Against criticism, a man can neither protest nor defend himself. He must act in spite of it, and then criticism will gradually yield to him. That's a brilliant quote. 
That's a brilliant quote. Yeah. Because if you do defend yourself, well, then, you know, you must have something to defend. And then if you don't, well, then <laughs> there's also problems with that. But if you just go a plugging away, well, eventually, you over, you know, it has to subject itself to you. So it's yep. pretty brilliant. The greatest, right, so my next one, the greatest people are always linked with their century, with their century, through some weakness. This getting back to the, the weaknesses of your own era, your own age. Everything of an abstract or symbolic nature, as soon as it is challenged by realities, ends by consuming them and itself. So credit consumes both money and itself. I liked this one. It, it, uh, one of our books this year on the for the 2017 Books of Titans list was uh, debt, and uh, this quote made me think of that. I actually wrote this in the the front of that book. Everything of an abstract or symbolic nature, with a credit, money, uh, as soon as it is it is it challenged by realities, ends by consuming them and itself. So credit consumes both money and itself. That was pretty pretty interesting one. Yeah, definitely. All right, next one. Um, for me, anyone who doesn't know foreign languages knows nothing of his own. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Everything that frees our spirit without giving us control of ourselves is ruinous. Ruinous? Ruinous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, and there is a, a strong emphasis on self-control throughout this, uh, throughout this, this book, uh, the importance of, of governing yourself and so on. Actually, one of the, one of the next ones that I was going to read off here is, is connected to that. You ask, which form of government is the best, whichever teaches us to govern ourselves. Hmm. That's, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. This this one, I think, kind of ties in with the first one you read. Uh, no one is more a slave than he who thinks himself free without being so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the half, half fool to some degree. Yeah. All right, um, let's see. Next one. Um, <laughs> the happiest man is one who can link the end of his life with its beginning. And you could spend days meditating on that one. At least yeah. I could. Yeah. This, this whole idea of what it means to link the end of your life with its beginning and all this. I mean, my immediate thing is something we talked about on this, on this podcast before, about this idea of living in a specific narrative that gives you purpose and, and how important that is. And having this coherent sense that drives you so that you can actually connect. This is where I've come from, and this is where I'm going. And ultimately, when I come to the end of my life, I'll have gotten there. You know, I, I have a, a distinct purpose, and I think there's something to that. But I think he's he's getting even beyond that, which is, you know, again, you, you could spend a lot of time on that one. The happiest yeah. man is one who can link the end of his life with its beginning. 
And I was also reminded of um, Solon's famous, you know, the famous uh, report of Herodotus of uh, when Croesus was was asking uh, who the uh, who the, the the happiest or the the uh, most fortunate man, uh, the most fortunate person uh, in the world was, and he says, "Oh, you know, this guy who who died recently." He he, I would say him. Croesus is expecting him to say you Croesus because you're the wealthiest guy out there and he's like what are you talking about this dead guy and he's like well you know he and his sons died uh, in a really noble fashion after living noble lives so you know you can't really say anything negative like they they, they really finished well yeah <laughs> a big theme in uh, deep survival as well that, that book yeah that we read. yeah uh, mine is, uh, nothing is more highly to be prized than the value of each day. And again, this, this theme comes back. Uh, we've seen it in a, in a lot of books from the old man in the sea to, uh, to plenty, plenty of the others that we've read of just taking a day at a time and, and, um, and focusing on that and not necessarily, uh, some, some distant future date when, when things are going to be better or, or you're going to be more together, but, uh, really, really taking the value of each day and, um, and living it well. Yeah. I mean, and again, the, the, a lot of these wise themes show up all over the place in very, in, in numerous books, but, uh, but you know, tons of, tons of these th throughout, you know, these gems throughout this. And again, we're limiting to a very few, favorite quotes. I mean, I could have, I could have probably listed a hundred of these, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I, you know, I really appreciated. And, you know, again, you can, you can, this, this is actually, it would be an interesting book to meditate with a little bit hmm. to, you know, sit down in the morning or in the evening or whatever, and just, just pull out a page and read through it and find one of these and just kind of reflect on it for five or 10 minutes, just sit there quietly and, and, and think through the statement. I, I think there could be some use to that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so my next one, <laughs> and there's some sense of humor here. A mistaken idea is all very well as long as you, as long as you are young, but it's no good dragging it on into old age. <laughs> Kind of like what you were talking about a, a few episodes ago, uh, ago, I think, with uh, you would hope that if you have the wrong idea, you you have put it away by by the time that could be the worst thing is is keeping hold of an idea just out of out of pride or something else. Yeah, if I'm wrong, I'd, I'd like to know. Yeah, <laughs> that way I can at least fix it. I mean, why yeah. why would I want to hold on to something just because I I want to be you know I want to pretend to be right for so long? I'd I'd rather just go ahead and figure out that I'm wrong and switch sides. <laughs> when nature begins to reveal her open secret to a man, he feels an irresistible longing for her worthiest interpreter, art. He's got a lot to say about art, and, and, and it's interesting how much he parallels, or how much he, he puts art in, co in the context of nature and beauty and this uh, mysterious longing that, mm -hmm. that art calls, calls out, and that a person who really, truly begins to understand nature is going to have that artistic impulse, which I think a lot of times these days we don't see. I mean, it's interesting. We don't see the same, you know, scientists these days are not people who generally, usually 
are not people who also wind up being high level artists or whatever else uh, that, that that impulse doesn't seem to map map on as much. And I, I wonder whether or not, or not that's some to some degree because of how fragmented uh, and siloed our our scientific knowledge has become to where there's there's you're very you're so often looking at such a small portion of of knowledge in a given field that that you don't get the chance to see the the sub, the sublime aspect of of things put together yeah then you do get you know your Feynman's your Richard Feynman's and others who you know Feynman became a uh, an avid uh drawer of the nude female form for example i mean there is some uh recourse to art for him so and you know that connects again that connects with my next uh next one here Beauty is a manifestation of secret natural laws which without this appearance would have remained eternally hidden from us. Wow. It's a really interesting quote. Yeah. This idea that beauty is actually a way of revealing stuff that wouldn't that we never would have seen or noticed some truths about the way the world works and about all sorts of other things, just truths that beauty actually is a, is a means to truth. That's a fascinating concept. And I I don't think he's wrong. Yeah. And that also is interesting too, in that, you know, there's the, the scientific uh, and mathematical preference for elegance. And, you know, some, some theorists have suggested that, that we often are, are limited in our, in our, uh, theoretical underpinnings because we, we have a, we have an impulse toward elegance, you know, a more elegant theory is preferred, but I think there's something to that because the, there is that aspect of the beautiful, the elegant that actually does. I I just, I I do think intuitively that there's something to that in terms of that mapping onto truth. Well, and it it speaks to that irresistible longing uh, of, of my last quote. Yeah. Uh, my next quote's rather short. Architecture is a speechless music. That's really, I thought that was pretty. That's a, again, it's a, it, it's, it's, he has a way of combining elements that are, that's really fresh. Yeah. Combining different parts of thought and all that. That's really fresh. That's another good example. My next one. Ingratitude is always a kind of weakness. I have never known competent people to be ungrateful. I have never known competent people to be ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah, you'd almost almost think it's the opposite. Yeah, but actually, I mean, in, in reflecting on that, I mean, is that not your experience as well? That the most competent, the most... Uh, the most successful, the most, uh, and, and I mean successful in terms of uh, being able to, uh, the most capable, let's put it that way, and again, mm-hmm. competent, that those people tend to be the people who are most grateful anytime you do something? Uh, yeah. That is actually true. It seems to be in my experience. Yeah. It connects, connects with me a little bit. Yeah. All right, I've got one more. There is nothing more odious than the majority. It consists of a few powerful men to lead the way, of accommodating rascals and submissive weaklings, and of a mass of men who trot after them without in the least knowing their own mind. Huh. 
Okay, I got a couple more, a few more here. First one is Bonus Weir Semper Tiro. Bonus Weir Semper Tiro. So that's a very good one. One again, one of the better ones in this book. So Semper Semper is always, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is Latin, so of course. Bonus, 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 bonus is good. Weir is the word for man. That's where you get virtue. So a good man is always a beginner. Hmm. Bonus weir semper tri, uh, semper tiro. Bonus weir semper tiro. So a good man is always a beginner. And that gets back to something we've talked about how many times on this podcast now? That theme keeps coming up. Uh, being an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Then there are people who never make mistakes because they never have sensible projects. <laughs> and sensible here actually is the old meaning of that, meaning it that the project isn't isn't falsifiable, isn't isn't available to the senses, right? So these are people who, yeah, you can't make them. They they've put themselves in positions where they can't make a mistake. They can't be said to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. He he looks down upon that. All right. Um, scholarly knowledge is greatly retarded by our preoccupation with what is not worth knowing and with what is unknowable. Scholarly knowledge is greatly retarded by our occupation or by our preoccupation with what is not worth knowing and with what is unknowable. And I will say, just as an aside, in my field, at least the Germans are on the forefront of this. <laughs> <laughs> you get all sorts of, you know, some of the scholar, some of the uh, the source criticism in particular, where it's, you know, you've got in some some areas of literature, you have, you know, this ancient this ancient text, and instead of t studying the ancient text, you know, proper as a as a thing in itself, instead you have these scholars who are reconstructing the hypothetical source underlying the hypothetical source that underlies the hypothetical source for the text as we have it. So th like three levels down what that hypothetical Grundschrift original writing must have been. Now you may be able to tell by my disgust for this, that I, I tend to be kind of cynical and skeptical of our capacity to actually reconstruct such things. I regard that both not worth knowing and unknowable. So, yeah. And really, maybe my favorite quote from the entire book is this. The first and last thing demanded of genius is love of truth. The first and last thing demanded of genius is love of truth. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. If you and if you don't have that love of truth, your genius gets polluted. And there's a number of other quotes through here where he talks about that that if you if you're not focused and fixated on the truth, on pursuing that aspect of things, then well, you're going to no it doesn't matter how smart you are, you're going to wind up in trouble. Yeah. So interesting. All right. Well, that that brings us to the end of our favorite quotes and again we could have gone on for another hour on this but it's it's really not worth it you, you just need to pick up the book and, and read that but we still have 
an, uh, our other segment that Eric likes to bring in periodically, and that is Eric's favorite word from the book. Ding, ding, ding. All right, do you know how to pronounce this one? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. All right. So uh, normally this would be said autochthonous. Autochthonous. I liked it. I'd never seen it before. <laughs> and it means indigenous rather than descended from migrants or colonists. Yeah, so it comes from two Greek words. Uh, so it's auto, as in, you know, auto, right? So mm -hmm. you get, uh, uh, it has to do with of itself, right? So, and then chthonos, which is of, uh, of, a, of a land, you know, basically uh, uh, something along, along there. So uh, uh, the earth, chthon is, uh, is the standard, chthonos is the standard word for like earth. Like, okay. uh, like the ground or something like that. So uh, basically this, this idea, it, it, this actually goes back to um, how Athenians regarded themselves as actually having sprung from the very soil of the Athenian region so that they were themselves autochthonous. They were from the earth, whereas others who came in from the outside were outsiders. So autochthonous then means basically someone who is local. Or some someone who's, or in other cases, it can mean uh, a natural outgrowth of something. So that's okay. the context context of that word. And yeah. yes, kids, taking what seven or eight years of classical Greek is good for you. It's really valuable. Go ahead, and I advise I advise doing it as much as you can. Take as much as much classical Greek as possible. You too can learn your own language as again Goethe says if you don't know if you don't know foreign languages you don't know your language well guess what it's hard to know your language as well as if you take good old fashioned latin and greek so what would you say has helped you more latin or or greek that's a good question i mean in terms of in terms of thinking about english um I took Latin earlier, so probably that, but both of them have been extremely helpful. Yeah. Uh, my exposure to more Greek literature and, and, and a lot of the concepts and ideas in the Greek literature that I've worked with has, has been more useful than what I, what I went through in Latin, but uh, the vocabulary benefits of Latin early on were probably, probably greater. Okay. Most of the polysyllabic words in English... Uh, are actually derived from Latin in some way. There, there are again autochthonous from Greek, but uh, the the uh, Latin tends to be a little bit more the, the the bigger words that you don't know if you've if you if you've taken Latin. Latin makes it easier. But anyway, yeah. once again, oh, cool. boys and girls, take take your classical languages. <laughs> Let's do one more segment that we've been uh, doing <laughs> recently, and that's uh, what are you reading right now, Jason? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm reading several things uh, at present. I actually have to think about this. Um, I am presently finishing uh, one of the books that I have assigned for my uh, for one of the classes that I've uh, that I'm, I'm teaching at the university where I am teaching. Uh, so I should be finishing that book here in the next uh, few days. That book is actually by Stephen Prothrow. It is called God is Not One. Uh, basically looking at the very at, at a number of religious traditions that are uh, significant around the world 
Uh, I'm also working on another, I'm working through another book with my students uh, called Meta Religion by James Lane, which is religion and power in world history. So it's looking at the relationship between uh, religious uh, traditions and, and various imperial contexts that have helped shape both the religious traditions and how influential those various religious traditions were. Uh, and beyond that, I, uh, I'm working through a few others that, um, I've been poking, poking through at different points for a while. Uh, so, uh, working through, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on getting my certified strength and conditioning specialist, uh, uh, certification, uh, in the near future. And so I'm, I'm still poking through some additional resources and stuff on that and all sorts of other things for other classes that, uh, I'm either prepping or. <laughs> or teaching so so that's what i'm working through at present but i should be by the time we've done the next podcast i should be pretty close to done i or done with uh with all the books from from the class that i'm teaching now so because i'm finalizing those lectures which uh you know staying ahead of the students is the first priority there as i chose those books for a reason and now i need to make sure that the lectures are coherent with the books and then you finished your uh the book that you were reviewing oh yeah yeah i got that review done Ah, sweet mercy. A nice uh, five, what is about 600 pages, including the appendices uh, book. Uh, got that review done for uh, uh, for the uh, the journal that uh, that I needed to do it for. And I, uh, I've basically taken a moratorium, uh, probably it might be a permanent moratorium on doing uh, scholarly book reviews because ultimately I, I just, it's one of those 80-20 things. Uh, it takes... A significant amount of time but i get very little out of it in terms of um in terms of benefits so it, I, I just i don't have the time for it so i'll do my own work and if i'm going to do any sort of book review it's going to be through this podcast yeah so. well cool i am reading uh disney the walt disney book uh by neil gobbler gabbler <laughs> um and it's it's really good. It's it's long, so I'm I'm only getting through um, twenty to thirty pages a, a day, but um, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. So it's kind of the the start of uh, of his life. I mean, yeah, the start of his life, and then they just released the Snow White, the the first full feature animated film of all time, and that was 1937. And now we're going on to, to Pinocchio. So very interesting. And, and before that, I read um, uh, Nor Norse Mythology by, by Neil Gaiman. And uh, that, was, that was interesting as well. I enjoyed that. And I'm sh sure you know this, Jason, but most of our the days of our week are, are named after Norse gods. Thor's Day is one that everybody Thor's should Day. remember. Yeah. Yep. Wednesday from, from Odin. Yep. And uh, so Odin's day, Odin's day becomes Wednesday before too long. But yeah, that's why it's spelled W E D, right? Instead of, <laughs> in, you'd expect you know when, and most people pronounce it Wednesday, right? But it's yeah. not N D. It's Wednesday, right? Why? Well, because it was originally Odin's day, Odin's day, and then it just shortens one of those linguistic things that happens with uh, leading vowel. Uh, you, Basically, Odin's Day becomes Wednesday because Wed is easier to say than Od, and so uh, then eventually it, narrow, it trims down to Wed. 
And eventually that transitions to wind, which is easier still. Yeah. All right. Well, to, to conclude the uh, our book again for this week, Maxims and Reflections. Good book. Jason, I liked what you said about uh, meditating on it. I think I think that would be cool. I mean, some of these, you, you can... Even even as we were reading them here, it's like, man, it, you just need to sit with it for a while. You can't. It it's hard to even just sit there and listen to the to the quote. It's it's uh, something you need to chew on for a while. And uh, one thought I had is <laughs> maybe a little irre- irrelevant or irreverent, but uh, to put this one by the toilet and have it um, have it easily available for. Well, I mean, what what better got time, time for? To, you got some time to meditate. Yep. <laughs> So, That'll any work. other comments about it? I, I think we'll leave it at that. So, uh, so buy this book, put it on the back of the commode, and then use it as a meditation tool. Spend a couple minutes just thinking through each each little statement over over time, and you know, after a year or two of doing that, you can go back through and still get some some more out of this. So, well, and if you've got an iPhone, I, I believe it's uh, it, there's a free version of it on in iBooks as well. So pick that up yeah so there you go well that'll do it for us today now uh once again a reminder before we fully wrap the show that you can follow along with us at booksoftitans.com you can of course interact with us on twitter or instagram at books of titans and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast and all of our past podcasts through apple Podcasts, the android marketplace or your podcast manager of choice we recommend overcast And if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to give us five-star ratings to tell us, to talk talk about in the, in the review about what uh, makes this a five-star podcast. So check in next week. Once again, we've got another book coming up. Uh, Actually, we're still determining what the next one is going to be because we're kind of mixing the end books from last year and this year. But uh, I can guarantee you that it's going to be a rousing and stirring discussion. Once again, this is Jason Staples. That is Eric Rostad. This has been the Books of Titans podcast. Keep reading, keep listening, and keep improving. And keep it real. <laughs>